Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of SG Explained. We are back in the virtual studio. I'm excited to be recording something on a weekday with you. A very rare time for us to do this, actually. We've had back-to-back weekday recordings just because the schedule is all over the place. But I'm getting very excited because the government's announced that we're going to be able to potentially meet in groups of eight if we're fully vaxxed. You know, Elliot, you and I were on our way there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I've been wanting to do this for a very long time, actually. So thank you. Thank you, uh, Minister Lawrence Wong. So today's episode is actually quite special. I think... When we were planning season four of SG Explain, we wanted to do certain episodes that really looked into parts of Singapore that we thought, you know, were underprofiled. And one of those parts of Singapore was about the foster system. And I think the reason why I thought about it, and I'll admit, you know, the cheekiness here is because I was watching Shazam. You know Shazam, the superhero movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that one. Basically, in Shazam, all the kids were foster children. And I was thinking to myself, Hey, actually, does Singapore have a foster system? Right? So I went to Google a bit and then I found out actually we do. And it's quite interesting the stuff that they do. My brother also is involved in child protection. And basically, once I learned about what he does, well, he can't talk about the specifics. But once I learned about that, I was like, hey, actually, this is a very, very meaningful space. And it's important for us to learn more about it. So I'm very, very happy to have two guests because Elliot, you and I, we don't have much relationship with the foster system. So first, we have Hannah from Grace Haven which is a foster agency that works with MSF. And we have Shikin, who's a foster parent. So it's very, very exciting for us. Hannah and Shikin, welcome. Welcome. Hi, Hi everyone. I'm Hannah. I'm Shikin. I'm a foster mom. Oh, this is that's such a nice way to introduce yourself. <laughs> foster mom, they're very relaxed, are soft, you know. Definitely have the voice for that. They always say that foster mom, very nice. I like that. Lah. When we talk also, we talk very slow. It's not very clear because we're talking to smaller kids, yeah? I thought, Shikin, you told me before the recording that you speak very fast. I think I know why. It's because Elliot's a kid, right? That's why I am. I'm like the biggest man-child. Hear me, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm 30 years old and I still think I'm a child. So, welcome to our show. Before we jump into the main SG Explain part of the show, could you share a bit more about yourself and what you do in the fostering space? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Hannah. I'm a social worker from the Salvation Army's Grace Heaven Fostering. As a foster care officer, I work with foster children to help them adapt into their foster family and support the foster families like Shikin in managing the challenges that they may face in their fostering journey. So what do we do, right? We actually make regular home visits, video calls to check in with the foster children as well as the foster parents to ensure that the foster children is doing well in their foster care placement. We also review each case regularly through team meetings, case review platforms, and supervision sessions by identifying the needs of the child, reviewing their progress in foster care, as well as the foster parents' capability in meeting the child's needs. So apart from all this, we also work very closely with other professionals, such as child protection officers, school teachers, psychologists, to develop strategies and intervention plans in achieving a more positive outcome for these children in care. And to better support our foster parents, right, we also provide a 24-hour hotline for them so that they can obtain any immediate support for emergency purposes. That's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Hannah. I, I think I work a pretty busy job, but yours 
seems <laughs> you have a team, right? And they're not making you work this alone, right? Yes, it takes a village to to support a foster child. And then uh, Shukin, you know, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? What do you do? First of all, thank you for having me. I find that it's very interesting to be part of this exploration myself in the podcast. My name is Shikin. I've been uh, married with a wonderful boyfriend <laughs> for 15 years. And then, of course, uh, we are both a full-time working. We have no children. Full of life, we travel around the world. And then, uh, as once upon a time, uh, we were having a family reunion. We came across a cousin who brought a child with them. When we realized that it's a foster child, that was our first exposure to uh, understanding about foster child. From that family gathering, as years gone by, we saw a second one and a third one. And we realized that we really admire how our cousin made a difference on on this foster child uh, life. And then we start to explore the possibility. And then, of course, they are the ones who actually shared with us this possibility. It wasn't an instant decision-making. It took me and my husband five years to explore this possibility. In deep on our heart, we know that it's something possible. It's something good to do. So we give it a try. We got a foster child in early January last year. So the child has been with us for the past one year, seven months. Right, just before COVID. The day when I got a call that we have a match, you know, I fall sick because I was shocked. Wow. Why would somebody want to give us a child? I can't imagine how exciting that, that must be, uh, like really, really wanting a child. That is the most memorable phone call ever. I'm looking forward to hearing like more stories throughout the episode. I think that's exactly why we are so grateful to have both of you as guests. Maybe it's useful to understand the fostering system in Singapore. So in the proper SG explained fashion, you know, we'll be doing a bit of a history, understanding the fostering system, understanding what it takes to be a foster parent. Uh, and then we'll also understand some of the work that people like Hannah are doing right in supporting the foster system working in the agency and stuff like that and then finally we'll also talk about how you as an individual can be a part of that ecosystem whether it's as a foster parent potentially or even in you know the various other programs that exist this is a very exciting episode we're super hyped to get into it we'll start by talking about the fostering scheme so the fostering scheme is actually administered and run by the ministry of social and family development msf uh, they have a whole department called the Children and Care Service, and they look after children in the sector who are vulnerable. The fostering scheme in specific aims to provide an alternative care arrangement for children who are below 18 years of age and are in need of a safe, stable, and nurturing home. And you know those three words are super important. Children are placed on the fostering scheme because they lack alternative kinship care arrangements and they have to seek placement with a foster family. Now, the foster scheme has provided care for over 5,500 vulnerable children over the last 60 years. And this is from MSS website. As of June 2019, there are 542 foster children in Singapore, of which 92 have developmental needs. And so there's a diversity of children within the system. While the ratio of foster children with developmental needs has remained at about 15% over the last three years, MSF has also said that it can be challenging to place these children in the foster care system because they may require high levels of care and commitment. Overall, the number of foster families has doubled from 243 in 2013 to 564 in 2020. And there are five fostering agencies in Singapore supporting this great work, right? Uh, MSF can't do it by themselves. They work with on-the-ground 
uh, agencies that are really spending the time and effort to, to support this. The five are Epworth Community Services, Boys Town, Pasatuan Pamudi Islam Singapura, the Salvation Army's Grace Haven Fostering, from which Hannah is here, and the Muhammadiyah Association. Wow, that's, that's a lot, actually. I was not expecting like that many. Elliot, I'm just surprised that it was only because I did the research for this that I found out about it, right? Because Oh, that always happens, man. Hannah, I'm curious. You've been in this agency, how do you think the foster system has evolved over the years and you know, how is it continuing to evolve? The foster care system has really come a long way. Since the beginning, the government is involved in the administration of the fostering scheme. This includes like, you know, the recruitment of foster parents, providing support, training for them, ensuring that they take good care of the children. So in 2014, MSF announced a shift to grow the capacity of the family-based care. Recruitment of foster parents has intensified, so that's why they open up to five fostering agencies. In addition, actually the various support systems and resources for the foster parents have also enhanced over the years to ensure that they are able to provide quality care for the children. For example, just last year, in 2020, um, child care leave benefits have been extended to foster parents as well. So by extending the childcare benefits to the foster parents, it actually gives them more time and flexibility to care for their foster children. So they can now take like leave to bring the foster child to see a doctor when they fall ill or to see like therapists to work through some of the possible developmental delays or trauma from abuse. Furthermore, I think with the technological advancements in communication platforms, such as video calls, messaging apps, have also allowed us for officers to check in with the foster families more regularly to stay connected with partners as well, like teachers, school counsellors and all. Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of sessions with Shikin as well and her foster child, whereby we will do video calls to check in and there's also like a variety of online resources and materials for us officers to creatively engage the foster children. For myself, right, I find it quite useful to use like Google Jamboard to draw and share some concepts with the foster children during our sessions. So that was helpful as well. We've seen that the number of foster families has doubled from 243 to 564, right? Do you think that's because there's a bigger need for foster parents and families or has there always been, you know, a need and actually now more families are coming on board, more families are aware that they can support the foster care system? Mm, I would say that there's always been a need for foster parents. I would say that because there's more recruitment efforts that have been done over the years, more people are more aware of fostering now. Pre-COVID times, we'll do a roadshow to really trying to spread all the awareness and for people to join us. It also plays a part with who we mix, who are our friends. We don't have that in my group of friends, my friend friends. We don't have that in our network. Only recently, I find that a lot of posters I can find in the bus stop, even in the letterbox, is very much well-reached nowadays. It was in the news, it was in the advertisement. Ultimately, the attention that we're creating for the system is to serve the children that are at the center of this, right? Because it's a very sensitive area. There's a reason why these children need foster parents. I wanted to understand a little bit more of why fostering was something needed here in Singapore in particular. So uh, the main reasons, you know, uh, why children come into care really due to like, abuse, neglect or abandonment. And there is a safety concern for children to remain in their own homes. Foster care 
offers children the opportunity to grow up in a normal family environment, right? Like foster families embrace vulnerable children and provide food, shelter, clothing, and most importantly, love uh, to children who are in need so that they can grow healthily and fulfill their potential. And for children from disadvantaged backgrounds, foster care gives them a positive experience of family life, which they may not have had in their natural family setting. It also teaches them important lessons on how families show care and concern for one another. Foster care is not permanent like adoption. It is like this temporary arrangement, right? So you're not you're not really bringing someone into your family as like a legal adoption, right? This is sort of taking some time to spend with a family to live alongside another family for a while. It's a temporary arrangement to meet the emergency care needs of a child uh, with the ultimate goal of reintegrating them with their natural family. In some cases, it may become long-term care if the parent or guardians are unable to work out suitable care arrangements for their children. What is the difference, you know, between this and say adoption, right? In this case, foster parents do not become the legal parents of their foster child. And instead, the child's natural parents remain in legal custody of the actual parents, right? The legal parents. Foster parents, therefore, do not have legal parental rights over the child either. And if we compare fostering to guardianship, which is also quite different, a legal guardian who may be like a natural parent or non-parent is a person who is actually entrusted by a court order to have custody over the child. Meaning the legal guardian would, you know, have the power to make decisions on behalf of the child. On the other hand, foster parents, like I said, don't have custody over their foster child. Foster parents only assume the responsibility in caring for the child as they would have for their own children. So that means if let's say the child is at school and then they need a report card signed by a parent or legal guardian, a foster parent cannot sign it. Actually, foster parents can be the one uh, to sign the report book, but also we will want to include the natural parents in this as well. That's very cool. I guess this brings me to a larger question then. What are some of the myths and misconceptions of the foster care system here? I would say one of the most common misconceptions of foster care is that every child in foster care is eligible for adoption. This is not true. <laughs> While foster care cases may lead to adoption, foster care is actually still a temporary care arrangement with the ultimate goal of reunifying the child with their natural family. Whereas adoption uh, of a foster child can only be considered if it's in the best interest of the child. So should there be a comprehensive assessment of the natural parents and extended family members that show that they are unwilling or unable to care for the child or if the returning of the child to the natural family would significantly compromise their safety and well-being, then yes, we may consider the possibility of placing them up for adoption. Oh, okay. What's the general time span in foster care that We don't have an average duration. It really... It could be really short or really long. Yes, yes. Ah, interesting. Fostering is really, really an act of love, right? Because you are taking care of a child who you don't necessarily have legal custody over, right? I mean, there is a relationship, an expectation set with uh, the fostering agency. But at the same time, this is really almost like an act of stewardship. Chicken, just talking to you, I'm always very impressed whenever you speak about your story because it's it's really an act of love. When you said you had a lot of energy and you wanted to, to bring someone in, like I was just thinking like, wow, like this kid is going to probably leave at some point. Uh, and that's like, I cannot imagine how that's going to be like, why not adopt? We really understand it's two different concepts and two different decision making. So obviously when me and my husband as a couple, we've decided, can we, should we move on to adoption or should we move on? Should we stay on to a fostering? We have a life that we built together, which we believe that 
we have this extra space, extra love. And if uh, we have a child that is, is bound to be with us for a long term, we welcome that opportunity. But should it be short term and it's only for a while, I believe we have so much love to give and for takeaway, we want that reunification for this child. Because our goal is that the child should go back to the family. We are prepared, you know, very much way before we, we sign up for this program that we support the system. We support that every child must be with the family. We say that uh, your heart will be broken, your child will not remember you, you know. These are all negative things that would come around with you. You come in land, you go out, right, you know. We, we don't have time to think about that. We, we, we just feel that we have so much love to give. So much room. If one go, another one will come back, you know. Another one will, will still be open space, you know. You know, when you have so much left to give, how to measure? How to measure you give 50% or 100%? You just give it all, right? Give yourself an opportunity to try and then you see how it works in your life. First of all, it's not about you anymore. When you sign up for the program, it's, it's really about them. Stop thinking about you. You really think about you for 15 years really, enough already. When it's about when you hear yourself again, it's you, your time, your life, your family, your husband, your wife, your hobby. It's about you, 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 you. So you channel this, channel this option too. How about them? That's amazing to hear. And actually, you know, let's say you're listening now and you think, okay, like, I want to consider doing this, right? Actually, there are several guidelines to becoming a foster parent. So we'll, we'll read some of them. And this is from, you know, the websites online and you can go and find it for yourself as well. The guidelines are, first of all, you need to be married and you need to apply together as a couple. And I think the key thing here is, again, going back to the whole idea of the foster system, it's to bring the child into a stable family environment. The parents need to be willing to ensure a child-safe home environment. And I assume that that means uh, later on we'll see that actually the foster care officers will come and check the house and, you know, they may recommend certain adjustments. You need to be at least 25 years old, have a minimum monthly household income of around 2000 Singapore dollars and a per capita income of at least $700. You need to be a resident of Singapore, be medically fit to care for children, have at least a secondary school education, and preferably have experience in caring for children or exhibit strong parenting skills. And you must be willing to work with the Ministry of Social and Family Development as well as other professionals for the child's best interests, as we are hearing, you know, Hannah and Chicken's relationship as well. And most importantly, and we will hear this again and again, uh, you should have a love for children. It is child-centric in that way, right? And be keen to assist them in your time of need. MSF's foster care officers are trained in social work or related fields and are keenly aware of the impact of trauma in children. And so in supporting the placement of children in foster homes and you know, evaluating whether a foster parent can take the child, they assess what is in the child's best interest. Uh, they take into account a variety of factors, including the profile, of the foster families, the foster parents' capabilities to meet the needs of that specific child, including physical, psychosocial, and spiritual needs, uh, proximity of the child's school to the foster parents' home. Again, it's like so involved and it really goes into what the kid needs. And there are trained professionals who go down to the applicant's homes for house visits and interviews to determine their suitability. And they have to observe if the house environment is safe. Shikin, I imagine you had to go through all of this as well. Yes, indeed. It is quite a journey, but a very interesting journey. 
every part you say yes I went through all those uh, not to scare you but uh, I would say that it's interesting the journey is smooth if you really read the conditions you feel that you meet those checklists then the transition will be very smooth okay that's good to hear it's for the child best interest it has to be a stable setup it has to be different it has to be complete this healthy family healthy background or healthy people come in right to support the child to make sure that the child has nothing less what do you think is the most important part of being a foster parent as a foster parent you need patience lots and lots of patience it sounds like you need a lot of patience <laughs> or helping raise a child is not always an easy journey it really shows your passion and dedication to the cause so you have to be patient to explore this possibility explore these changes and then slowly pull them to to your system, something that's not there, you instill in them. Other than patience, I think foster parents must really have empathy as well and also the love for the children so that they can be committed and then be really there to understand what the child has gone through, the trauma, the abuse, so that they can remain empathetic when they manage the child's behaviours as well. The moment you see a child, uh, you cannot turn them away. Somehow or other, every child that you set your eyes on and you really fall in love, immediately fall in love. It is just naturally instinct of a foster mom, foster father. Whoever comes to us or, or even it's not us, instant love is there. Shikina, you, you can't see it, but I'm tearing a bit. <laughs> it's so authentic and I would aspire to have as much love as you have to give, you know, but I hear it in your voice and I can definitely see whichever kids are, you know, in your household. I'm, I'm sure they're very blessed. Wow. Good time for a break for me to wipe my tears. Elliot and I will be right back to talk about the fostering process, the duties and responsibilities of a foster parent. And like we said, how you can also support the fostering system. We'll see you right after the break. We're glad you're listening to this episode and are part of the SG Explainers community. You're special because you're part of a group of people who are joining us to understand the Singaporean identity through a wide variety of topics. Elliot and I do this completely out of passion, but we do incur costs to use software, equipment, and not to mention the time spent. We're hoping that you may consider supporting the SG Explain effort in one of two ways. If you click on the podcast description of the podcast you're listening to, you'll see a link that says support this podcast with a link to anchor.fm slash sg dash explain slash support. A contribution as small as 99 cents when added up by all our community members can go a long way for us. The second way is that if you want more bonus content for your buck, we've launched an email newsletter. That's right, all the content that doesn't make it to the podcast, including our own perspectives, videos and pictures, as well as links to more resources can be found in these email digests that provide compact information for your on-the-go reading. For five US dollars a month, basically the cost of a bubble tea, through Substack you can get a digest a week with great content. The internet has allowed you, the consumer, to directly express your support to creators like us without needing to depend on brand sponsors too much. We hope you can give whatever you feel comfortable with. Here at SG Explained, Elliot and I are committed to getting great guests, conducting thorough research, and bringing you quality explainers on all things Singaporean. Thank you for being part of our community. All right, and we're 
back from our break. We've covered quite a lot of ground today in understanding what it takes to be a foster parent, understanding a little bit about how the foster system has evolved in Singapore. Maybe what I wanted to jump into next is actually thinking about the process. This will be interesting for listeners out there as well. We don't really get to see this side. We might hear stories of adoption, but when it comes to the fostering process, I think there's a lot more that meets the eye. So first, the fostering process. Rovik, these bullet points that we have uh, really talks about what it takes to even have like training of some sort. So they usually attend like this weekend training sessions. Before being placed with a foster child, the one who intends to be a foster parent will have to attend foundation and intermediate training sessions that will occur on Saturday mornings. That's a lot of effort for someone like me, honestly. Saturday mornings is usually sleepy time, uh, which is five consecutive sessions for each course. It's a whole month-ish course. The purpose of these sessions is to equip you with the skills that will be relevant and required of you as a foster parent. So what are some of those skills? Well, the the curriculum kind of gives us a sense of what it's on, right? Uh, There's foster care and context. uh, There's bonding and attachment. They even teach emotional uh, components like grief and loss. They also do identity and birth family contact, managing challenging situations, being another one, teaching teamwork, and of course, managing closure. A lot of this, the way I read it, a lot of soft skills, but also some very applicable, real hard skills that is required before someone can be a foster parent. How is it like going for the course? It really helps, even though I have a big family, I have a lot of uh, caring for a lot of younger children, you know, uh, the inside of the uh, basic course, intermediate course is something that we always, oh, we thought that we can do this, you know. Then when we go for the courses, uh, it's practically equip us how to handle our situation. If we bound to come across, for example, how do we manage our, not only the child emotion, also we have to take this course actually equip us to look at ourselves. Like for example, like when a child are having a breakdown or, or, or not listening, you know, how do you talk to the child? You need to talk to the child in eye level. You cannot finger point on the child while talking. Instead of scolding, we have to explain to the child how you feel uh, if you do this. How would you feel if... If somebody do this to you, when I have parents who are really, oh, I have three children. I will take up one foster child. Oh, I'm very experienced. But then they come back and they tell me, wow, they very glad that they go for this foster class because they thought being a parent of three, they really have the insights of everything. Not true. That's the course work itself. And it seems like it really did kind of change your outlook and a bit of your life along the way by attending this course. Maybe we can move on then to the step after which, which is, you know, having the foster child kind of move into your home, integrate with the family. Over here, what we found was that upon arrival of your application as a foster parent, you will be given an advance notice before your child moves in with you. And however, in case of emergency, your foster child may need to move into your home within a very short period of time. So I imagine that you have to like really prepare. The moment it's ready, that's when you move into action. The officer actually prepared us and give us a little bit of details of the child. And then we get ourselves ready for welcoming of the child. We were very nervous. Will the child accept me as a parent, you know? So that was the question behind, you know, we were so worried that the child see us, it will run away from us, you know? That was one of those uh, questions that was that was burning and when, when the, before the child arrived. But I think it's a good part of the MSF that the MSF prepared the child. So it's actually a calming factor for the child. That's really special. Uh, to be able to create this home um, to welcome someone else inside. Very noble endeavor. The third step over here is to maintain contact with the foster care officer or the, or the FCO, right? So an, an FCO will be 
attached to every foster parent to provide like guidance and support. Uh, and your foster child and you will have to maintain contact with the FCO through regular phone calls. I think, Hannah, you were explaining this a little bit just now. Maybe you can give us some insights into what's the objective of doing these calls. We regularly check in with our foster child and as well as with the foster parents to ensure that the child is safe is secure and also to support the foster parents in managing the child's behaviours. So we do it very regularly. We check in at least once a month and we also do home visits also as well. All of this is just in recognition that there's a lot of moving parts and as Hannah said at the very beginning, it takes a village, right? So everyone plays a role to support the system and make sure that the burden isn't just on one person, right? And I think it's very thorough as well, right? The amount of steps it takes to welcome and ease both parties into making the system work out, I think is real testament to how strong our foster system has become. Let's talk also about what are some of the things a foster parent does, right? I mean, we've heard broadly some of the expectations, some of the roles, what are some of the duties broadly the main responsibility is to provide a secure loving and nurturing home environment that facilitates the restoration healing and development of the foster child but if you break that down what that looks like is facilitating the foster child's access to his or her natural family by arranging for them to meet right bringing the child for medical appointments spending quality time with them providing love shelter food education security uh, and an opportunity for your foster child to play and interact with other children. At the heart of it, right, the more I think about it, it's a recognition that a child has so many things ahead of them, right? Opportunities, potential, and we don't want to to block any of that just because of the circumstances that they happen to be in. In this way, actually what we're doing is we're setting them up for as much success as possible and to also give them that healthy environment. That's at the heart of what the role is. I'm curious, you know, have you heard of stories of lives that have been changed because of the foster care system. Definitely. We believe that most children, they function better in a home environment compared to other alternative caregiving arrangements such as institutions. That's why when a child is removed from care, usually we will place them in foster care because foster care actually offers children the opportunity to grow in a normal family setting where they are provided with personalised care and attention. And also it teaches them important lessons on how families show care and concern for one another. So definitely there are many lives that have been changed through the foster care system. I've worked with Shigin and her husband for the past 1.5 years. They have shown to be very committed, very dedicated foster parents towards the foster child. So I've really seen how the child progressed under their care as well. The foster child came in to their care with developmental delay. They really put in a lot of effort, put in place interventions to help this child progress to where she is today. It was a journey. We didn't know that she has a uh, milestone were not met. So our journey was quite uh, worrying because understanding at four years old, the child should be able to read. How come the child can sing? Uh, but cannot, cannot read? Why not interest? Uh? Is it because she doesn't know how to read? Is it too complex for her? Or is it the book's not exciting enough? We go through to the extent that we bring her to two specialists to get a second opinion, you know, to understand what went wrong. We we, we have to understand. We, we did a gap analysis on this child. And we realized that, oh, okay, uh, it's not that she's, she don't find it fun. It's because she doesn't know how to read. So this is a gap. It wouldn't be fun if you don't know how to read, right? You only listen, listen. You you may want to attempt to read, but it's hard on you. That's where we, we understand better that we have to get her 
to read. We instill um, reward system. We create inviting environment. Every night we will read to her and she will read back to us. She will tell us back what she what she heard from us. Cute. <laughs> it was one day when she just tell us, Mama, don't read. Let wow, me read. So precious. So she read through her page and on that day, I just feel like, oh my God, she knows how to read. Me, my husband, our eyes was wide open. It's like, okay, we're not supposed to read anymore. She's reading to us. And school reopened after CBP read. Teacher was calling me back and saying that, hey, she's a reader. We have a reader in the classroom. He reads for everybody and then now she's teaching her friends how to read. It just surprised you when you least expected. That's exactly the power of supportive family environment, right? Just like providing care, encouragement, small interventions. And then she became a reader. Like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's actually so fascinating. But I was wondering, you're really supporting this child into your home. I'm sure it must take a financial toll as well, right? Having to suddenly welcome someone into your life. Trying to figure out about the assistance and support that MSF does uh, for these foster families. I've just read some stuff that we found. One of the things here is on the fostering allowance. It says for every foster child under your care, MSF actually provides you with a monthly allowance of 900 36 or $1,114, the former being for your child. And then if you have special needs, the child will get an additional a bit of uh, support for it. And this is mostly to cover daily expenses such as food, clothing, education, tuition, and transport expenses. And also says here that there are subsidies, right, for both childcare and medical. Yeah, basically the foster parents, they only have to pay 200 for childcare. So what I'm hearing here is that for childcare and medical subsidies, uh, the foster child is entitled to have all his medical expenses at polyclinics and government hospitals covered when he or she uses his or her medical fee exemption card. MFEC is like a special card for them? Yes. So we will apply this MFEC card for each foster child so that foster parents um, don't have to worry about their medical expenses. Even, even more so, I think the fact that foster children are also given priority access and maximum subsidies for the ministry's disability services and schemes is actually a great effort to encourage even more you know, couples to actually not worry so much about even attempting to find out more about the fostering system. The next bit's on childcare leave. Following recent amendments to the Children and Young Persons Act, which was implemented in the first quarter of 2020, foster parents will be able to enjoy childcare leave benefits to care for these children and be able to make certain decisions for their foster children under their care as well. That's a big victory, right? When we announced to the company that we have a child, then everybody thought I, w I was pregnant. They were like, hey, what happened? <laughs> we missed the chapter. I have a birth to submit. Oh, we didn't miss the birth? <laughs> you mentioned, right? But the company was very supportive in understanding that uh, it's nice to have a family to grow in. And so taking childcare leave is a breeze for myself and for my husband. That's great. That's great. I mean, it recognizes the effort it takes to really be a foster parent as well. I mean, well. it's the same as a regular parent. No, exactly, right? It recognizes it as equals. And I think that's a very powerful statement as well. When you're at the end of the episode, I think there are a couple of reactions that you probably have at this point, right? I think for one, we really were hoping that together with us, there's at least an increase in awareness of the foster care system, what's going on. And if you feel compelled to, you know, respond in some way, uh, we're going to share some of the ways that you can do so. It, I found this online and I found it kind of cute. It says here are a few ways you can open your H-E-A-R-T, your heart to foster children. So it's an acronym <laughs> and you can think of mm -hmm. it like that, right? So H is help, help. You can help by becoming a volunteer with foster agencies. This could include becoming a trained befriender and bringing foster children for outings or play and care for them while foster parents attend trainings. E is enrich. If you have skills that can enrich 
positive children's lives. So you can share that. Children are often very eager to learn new things and teaching them a new skill may uncover a hidden talent or spark a new interest. A is act on it. So some foster agencies welcome corporates to take action and collaborate with them through the CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Initiative. If you want to mobilize your organization, you can get them to donate, sponsor fostering events, or even plan fun-filled and memorable events for foster children, right? If you're if your organization has stuff that can give. Uh, R is reach out. You can be a foster care advocate and help to reach out and raise fostering awareness in the community, kind of like what we're doing with the podcast, uh, and invite foster agencies to speak at your workplace or organizations and groups you're connected with. And T is talk. If you know of friends or relatives who would make fantastic foster parents, help agencies to talk to them about the need for more foster families. And if you yourself are interested to be a foster parent, go and reach out to a foster agency. I know there are a couple of ways that you can do so. So there's many ways that you can contribute to the foster care system. So like Shikin, you can sign up with us as a foster parent or you may contribute as a volunteer. So there's actually plenty of volunteering opportunities in fostering. You may volunteer like a befriender, a tutor or even a transport minder. So for those who are interested in becoming a foster parent or like to find out more about fostering, we are conducting our next tea session on 18 September 2021 from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. So you can reach out to us by calling us at 8833-8173 or email us at eugene.chan at smm.salvation a-R-M-Y dot O-R-G We'll put that information in the description section so don't worry. So for those who are unable to commit their time or they are not very sure whether or not they want to foster right now they can actually consider donating to the various fostering agencies towards the cost that they support. Um, I'm just thinking about the level of coordination and effort that it takes to just like make sure that the children, right, the future generations of Singapore, that they set up as much as possible for success that you know, the current circumstances doesn't disadvantage them. And it's not just policy, right? Like, yes, MSF is there, but it's also, you know, the sector where you have all these fostering agencies, you have social workers like Hannah. We just heard about her job scope at the beginning. That's like a lot of work to support this. And then you have people like Shikin who are like just labors of love, right? They're just doing this because they have love to give. And it, to me, it's it's such a promising example of what it means mm-hmm. to live in a country where everyone chips in to really make sure that the values that we believe in, the things that we care about, we make sure that we achieve them, right? And in this case, it's really making sure the children have the best opportunities ahead. And this is one of those episodes where I finish very warm, you know. Most of our listeners here would know, we usually end off on like, we talk about something rather bleak and then we're like, yo, you know, we're going to save this thing. We're very critical normally at the end. But no, this one is one of those episodes that really warms our heart. My first instinct when I listen to these stories is, wow, I- I'm really proud of the fact that Singapore has such a robust and, and powerful system here that can really change the lives of uh, some of our youth. Uh, just the, the numbers earlier on tonight where we saw 243, that number of foster families doubling almost to 564. That is a statement that shows that Singaporeans really do have a heart. And I hope that you know by sharing not just the stories, you know, catch your ear, but that it, it will change something about us and the way we see these kind of families, 
uh, the way we want to support and help and even more so you know try our very best to just live like compassionate and kind lives that just is a great summary Hannah and, and Chicken thanks so much for coming and sharing your stories I, I really appreciate it thank you for coming Yeah. thank you so much for inviting us a wonderful experience talking to both of you on that note please go and check out the resources we'll put in the description section and we'll see you 